You're listening to Energy Insiders, a weekly update on clean energy and climate policy with Renew Economies editor Giles Parkinson and leading energy analyst David Leach. Energy Insiders is brought to you by Evergen, providing fully integrated and optimised energy intelligence and storage for residential and commercial sites. And Solaray, experts in solar PV, storage and monitoring. Hello and welcome to this latest episode of Energy Insiders. My name is Giles Parkinson. I'm the editor of Renew Economy. Not joining me this week is regular co-host David Leach. David is still unwell and from his unwell bed filed a story this week, which was quite an interesting one, challenging what the Federal Coalition is doing to um, Australia's electricity governance. And I think it was a very important story, but uh, we couldn't manage to bring him to the microphone. So hopefully he'll be back on the podcast next week. In the meantime, we do have a great interview with Susan Kennedy. She's the CEO and founder of AMS, a Californian company which has developed some really quite exciting software, artificial intelligence, if you like, that is helping wind and solar farms and battery storage integrate into the grid. And it's um, particularly important because in the last week we've seen a lot of negative prices happen um, across the country, particularly in South Australia, which is more than 50% renewables, but interestingly also in Queensland, which has a lot of solar. And for six days in a row, the um, wholesale price of electricity went negative. And in South Australia, for 12 days in a row, it also went negative, which is not quite a record, but it shows a bit of a sign of where we're heading as more renewables enter the system. Now, negative prices are not a new thing. They used to happen at night time quite often because the coal-fired generators didn't like switching off. So the governments went around and found interesting things for them to do, like heat electric hot water systems, but still it happened occasionally. And basically prices go negative because there's more sellers than buyers and some generators don't like being switched off so they'll pay other people to take their money while those prices are negative and demand is low. Interestingly for wind and solar farms um, that can create problems they don't like paying other people to take their output so in the absence of energy storage um, some of them are developing or looking at these new algorithms and this sort of machine learning and artificial intelligence uh, which has been developed by AMS. Susan Kennedy is also very interesting because she was the former chief of staff to Arnold Schwarzenegger, not when he was an actor in the um, in, um, in in those famous films, but when he was governor of California and possibly the first administration around the world, maybe apart from Germany, that really put a big push behind clean energy. Anyway, let's have a listen to Susan Kennedy from AMS talking to us from California. Susan Kennedy, thanks for joining Energy Insiders. Giles, great to be here. Yeah, well, um, you're over in California, but um, your company that you founded now, am I right in thinking 2014 or 2012? Um, uh, 2014. 2014, AMS has just announced a well, what sounds like a very interesting initiative in Australia. Perhaps you'd like to explain it. I mean, roughly in the introduction, I've been saying that um, this is advanced software, it's using artificial intelligence, and it's really important for the clean energy revolution because of the speed of the markets that we're now going to be operating in. And this allows people to strategic bidding at a speed impossible for humans. Tell us more. Well, you said it all in one sentence. Um, and Australia is really on the leading edge of uh, this revolution that's happening around the world. 
in part because uh, Australia has made such a, an aggressive commitment to renewable energy as well as competitive markets. And so you have a problem where you have to balance supply and demand in real time. And when you start to add a lot of renewables to the grid, that makes it pretty complex. And so uh, hence the need for uh, software that can really operate at the speed of light and, um, you know, create this optimization, uh, solve this optimization problem that allows you to balance supply and demand with clean energy. Now, what you've described um, initially is um, you've installed this software at the Snowtown One um, wind farm um, that's in South Australia. And what you've been able to show is that this can move really quickly and really important when um, negative pricing events happened and happening. And we're seeing more and more of this in Australia now. We're seeing it in South Australia with a combination of wind and solar. We're seeing it in Queensland with the um, combination of, uh, well, just mostly solar. This week, in fact, um, when we're doing this interview, for five days in a row, the prices have gone negative um, in the middle of the day in Queensland, which is quite extraordinary. So tell us, what does this, what, what, what has this software been able to prove um, at Snowtown Wind Farm? Well, uh, you know, when the, um, when the wind blows, you don't necessarily have traders, human traders, that are able to be sit- sitting at their computer for every five minutes of every day. Um, and uh, being able to press the button in order to move an asset in and out of the market when prices go negative. You know, when there's too much energy on the grid, the reason prices go negative is because they they have excess capacity. So they have to uh, charge people, make them pay to generate on the grid. So it's incredibly important to be able to take your asset out of the market, take the wind farm out of the market when prices are negative until and unless you can add energy storage where you can capture a little bit more value. And so the, uh, I mean, the, the value of the software and what we've been able to show at, uh, at Snowtown is that um, we can add probably anywhere from 1% to 4% increase in IRR to a, to a wind project just using AI for uh, precision trading that can respond in seconds to uh, negative price events. Because what we've seen with some solar farms and um, I suspect some wind farms is that when prices go negative and they look like they might be going negative for a period of time, the solar farm has actually got to switch off. Now, this is under these contracts that they're writing with off-takers and often these sort of you know big energy retailers. I guess the interesting thing here with Snowtown is that it's a merchant wind farm, so it's basically just taking whatever price is getting on the market. So there the advantage is, rather than paying people to t- accept its output, it can just duck out of the market and then hop back straight back in again when the prices go back into positive territory. Absolutely. But also we're seeing that uh, the market is being created to begin to add storage, like battery storage to wind farms and solar farms in order to not lose the value of turning your assets off. I mean, you don't want to waste the, the clean energy. And it's, and it's actually kind of hard on the equipment to turn wind farms on and off, right? So um, we're seeing that as more and more renewables get up, uh, come onto the grid, uh, the market is being created to add storage, which should really help smooth out the uh, supply and demand question and also, you know, create more value. 
Okay, so then what's happening here is that if you've got a um, if you've got a wind farm um, and it's got a battery storage next to it, then rather than just sort of switching off or sort of you know feathering its um, turbines, it can just sort of put it towards the battery and it can just do that in sort of real time real, real time matters. And I, I think it's actually true. Actually, Snowtown's actually looking to um, install a um, a battery um, sometime next year. I think. Yes, and we're seeing the same thing in other parts of the world as well. Texas here in, in the U.S. has a, a, a lot of wind, especially up in the Texas panhandle. And the more and more wind they put on the grid, uh, you know, the more volatile it gets. And so they're, they're looking at battery installations in there as well, also in California. I'll come to America soon. I'm fascinated to see what your take is and what's, what's happening in America, but uh, just more in Australia then. So you've got a bunch of opportunities lined up. I think you said that you've got 2,000 megawatts of um, capacity um, contracted that'll be coming up, but you're not able to reveal who quite yet. Not just yet, uh, other than that we did announce with uh, Tilt Renewables, our, the, uh, our, our first major client there, which, uh, and they've uh, they've got a lot of wind assets, so that's a that's a really exciting opportunity for us. And they've got a full pipeline uh, that we will uh, be I- using our software to help them optimize. So that's really exciting. Uh, and we've we've also we've been in Australia now since the end of 2017. Uh, so it's uh, you know we we've been working with the market operator. We've been working with a number of different clients to to help craft the the, the software to be. Um, very user friendly for both solar, wind, pumped hydro, batteries. I mean, all, all different types of assets. And so, uh, w- during that period, we we've been working with all of these developers that have these assets that are facing more and more challenges. So, um, yeah, we've we've been we've been very fortunate, and we've uh, we've actually contracted for more than two thousand megawatts of assets. So we're we're really proud of that. <laughs> well done. So, just tell me, maybe just go into the software um, a little bit. I'm not really a tech head that much, but um, what, what makes this software different from from others around the place? Well, first, I think you have to look at, w- at kind of how the energy markets have developed to understand the state of play in terms of the software that's in the energy industry. It, it, the energy is in a one electricity alone is about a 1.3 trillion dollar U.S. market annually, $1.3 trillion. Uh, it has been designed around coal and gas because those coal, gas, and oil, those were the assets that the energy electricity markets were designed around. And so the, the software for the, the, that's used for trading is really about managing your fuel position and, and some forecasting and automating your trades and, and, and uh, you know, compliance and record keeping and administrative. The bidding, how you bid assets in electricity markets is all being done with Excel spreadsheets because to calculate your marginal cost and heat rate on a a gas plant is not that complicated, right? And so it wasn't until you saw the introduction of renewables hit a penetration level at about mm, a little more than 20%, you started to see the markets getting more and more volatile with negative prices and, um, and just the intermittency. And so you started to see this need for more and more sophisticated software. All of the software tools that are built for the industry today are rules-based. So it's, it's, it's to solve a yes-no, an if-then problem, and, it, and you can get very sophisticated, very complex calculations using an Excel spreadsheet, but it, it cannot solve an optimization problem that requires literally terabytes of data 
and to solve it in real time and predict what's going to happen with prices. And then, and then uh, you make a decision or recommend the optimal trading strategy based upon the predicting what's going to happen over the next 24 hours. Do I use the energy in the battery now or do I hold the energy in the battery for three hours from now when I expect market prices to go up? Do I use it for energy or do I use it for an ancillary service, an, F, an FCAS, like a regulation up? So that, that optimization problem cannot be solved with an Excel spreadsheet and it cannot be solved with a rules-based engine. So the key difference here is that this is a machine learning neural network that can process literally terabytes of data around what's happening in the market, learn the behavior of the market, and then combine predictive analytics around market price with optimization algorithms that give you your best bidding strategy. So if all this new technology, wind farms and solar farms and pumped hydro and batteries are going to be using artificial intelligence and machine learning and you've got all the legacy oil and sorry, um, gas and coal assets sort of working off spreadsheets, how's that going to work out for the incumbents? Well, we're already seeing incumbents being uh, squeezed pretty pretty hard. I mean, the, uh, I think solar has hit a tipping point where in, in many markets, it's the cheapest electricity around is, is solar. Uh, and so it's, it sounds you know, like it's going to be the smartest as well. <laughs> yeah, it's very true. It's a, uh, but it's, you, you've already got margins that are you know, very, very, um, very thin and, uh, and you've got renewable prices that are, that are actually getting squeezed down as well. And so efficiency in transacting, uh, energy is going to become the key to viability. So you're, you know, if you're, if you're not efficient, you will not last. So you, you have to become more efficient in the way you use and buy and, and sell your fuel and, you, and the way you operate your assets. And that's where the intelligent software comes in. Does that mean then, so, but, but can coal and gas assets actually be done with machine learning in this very fast response because their machines don't actually respond that quickly? Well, you've got to remember that most of the market is, um, is run on base load. So, you know, you know, at, to, to a 100% certainty, unless the grid literally goes down, you've got uh, a need for a certain amount of, of, of megawatts. So the, the, the low cost fuel resources like nuclear and, you know, gas, they, they can be financially viable for baseload. But where you have competitive markets and you actually have to trade assets in the real time, they, it's going to be very hard for them to be competitive unless they have the flexibility and the attributes of like a battery storage. I just They're going to be very hard to compete in a real-time market. Yeah, well, I think flexibility is going to be the key. And um, it's interesting that you mentioned low-cost nuclear and low-cost gas. Well, in Australia, I guess we don't have nuclear and gas is anything but low-cost um, because we're sort of yeah, stuck right. on the export rate of gas. But look, let's go back to the United States. And um, you've got a special insight um, into policymaking there because um, we should reveal that um, you're actually the chief of staff of former Governor Arnold Schwarzenegger when he was um, governor of California. So um, give us a bit of an insight into that because you're there – I mean, um, California under, under Schwarzenegger's um, leadership became kind of like the, the go-to point for the kickoff of this transition. Yeah, California <laughs> – well, California has a habit of uh, l leading uh, in a number of things, and, and clean energy is one of them. Um, and sometimes we lead with our, uh, our head, and sometimes we lead with our chin. Uh, but so, I mean, California – 
I, I worked for the previous governor too, but before Arnold Schwarzenegger was a uh, governor, Gray Davis, and we California famously had ran into had rolling blackouts because of our failed effort at deregulating the market, introducing competition to the market, and we ended up with rolling blackouts because the regulations were badly drafted. Uh, so that was my baptism into energy. Um, and by the time uh, Schwarzenegger came in and was elected, he, um, uh, I had I had been serving on the Public Utilities Commission, trying to get our our utilities out of bankruptcy and back into healthy status. And so, and sh- here was a governor who wanted to move the needle on all things uh, clean energy and infrastructure, carbon reduction. And uh, so he pulled me up to Sacramento as his chief of staff, to and it was a kind of a magic combination where I was able to translate a lot of his macro policies on clean energy and infrastructure investment into steel in the ground, because I understood the energy markets quite well at that point. Uh, so yeah, in the last two years of, of the Schwarzenegger administration, we permitted 16 gigawatts of renewal, renewable energy. They were calling us the Saudi Arabia of solar. To give you an idea of how big that was at the time, I mean, in the entire United States in 2008, we permitted 500 megawatts nationally of renewable energy. In 2009, we permitted six, uh, 5,000 megawatts of, of, of renewables alone in California. And in, the fo- in 2010, we did another uh, 12,000 megawatts. So the, the, the leap in, in leadership in California in terms of getting these renewable projects permitted uh, was pretty, uh, pretty astounding. Um, and then you know, we, we realized after we left office in 2010 that we sort of broke the grid. Uh, you know, we've all these, we had all these renewables coming online and the, and the utilities were starting to plan for how they were going to deal with this integration of renewables into the grid. And we, we, we created what's now known as the duck curve and it's Ah. not referencing, not referencing foie gras, but it is, uh, the duck curve is when you have so much renewables online at, at solar in particular, you have, uh, you're, you're idling your baseload fleet, like your gas fleet. And then when at four o'clock in the afternoon, when the sun starts to go down, you have a very expensive problem in transitioning back to, from, from solar back to uh, a, a, you know, a, diff- a different fuel. So you have to have your gas fleet on spinning reserve just to handle the transition at four o'clock. That's a really expensive redundancy. So, uh, so California was forced to deal with this issue of the integrating renewables cost-effectively starting, um, you know, about 2012, 2011, um, and, and, and California in particular, we had, we, we lost our nuclear facility. It came out of the Southern California portfolio. It's called San Onofre nuclear facility, nuclear station. And it was taken out and that was 2,500 megawatts of zero emission, uh, generation in the Los Angeles basin. And when that came offline, all of a sudden we had a problem because we had all the solar in the desert and we couldn't get the, 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 the energy from where it was being produced into where it was being consumed in the L.A. basin in a timely manner. So that became our ground zero where we had to figure out how to integrate renewables. And was that then the genesis for AMS? Um, yes. And uh, the company that you founded, which, which um, as it happens, is actually backed by um, Arnold Schwarzenegger as well, who's an investor. Yes, he was one of our first investors. We've we've stayed close, and and uh, you know we understood that we uh, we created this good problem to have, and we believe that you know finding the solution to cost effectively integrate renewables was a you know top priority to really uh, 
you know, bring to life all these clean energy policies. You had to stick around and make them work. So yeah, he was one of our first investors and has been with me ever since. Um, yeah, the, um, uh, I forgot the I forgot the question you asked. Uh, it was... <laughs> I don't know. Just, yeah, was was this the genesis for AMS? You know, oh. the sort of um, yeah, the the duck curve yeah, yeah. appeared, and all of a sudden, you're going, aha! I think I got a solution. <laughs> exactly. We we knew that it, when when this happened in Southern California, we knew we had to figure out a different way of 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 balancing supply and demand because you couldn't bring. You couldn't build a peaker, a gas peaker plant in downtown Los Angeles if your life depended on it. And you couldn't build more trans, more transmission lines to, in order to pipe in renewable generation from different parts of the grid. And so Southern California Edison was a large, large energy company down there. And they had to figure out how to find new technologies to balance supply and demand. By that time, we'd also done a lot of work with electric vehicles, um, you know, Tesla and a bunch of other companies were started in California. And we, coming out of the EV market, battery storage was starting to hit a price point where it became a potentially viable solution at a stationary level to control building load. And so we pitched to Southern California Edison to use battery storage to to harness the load of lar very large commercial industrial buildings like university campuses, water water treatment facilities, and then use that use the battery as sort of a flexible load uh, load control technology that properly harnessed could help them balance the grid in real time the same way a gas peaker would. Although it's spread all over, you know, it, it's it's actually at the load. It is the load, so it's much more effective in balancing supply and demand without having to transmit electrons. Of through across the circuits, and and I guess we're seeing across America um, a lot of auctions being held by different utilities or um, um, commissions or or what have you. Um, they're doing they're calling for mandates or, or, or they're issuing mandates for dispatchable energy, and they're finding that um, solar or wind paired with batteries is coming out much cheaper than gas, and gas is cheap in America already. So that's quite extraordinary. Yeah, it's definitely uh, very market specific, and um, uh, you know a whole, a whole lot of markets in the U.S. are vertically integrated, so they don't have that real time component. Uh, and that's they're just they're a little late. They're coming in behind some of the competitive markets in terms of really being able to cost effectively use battery storage. But uh, you know a lot of pumped hydro that's massive storage. Uh, you know they're they're actually finding much more value out of. Uh, you know, pumped hydro storage to help uh, help balance supply and demand as well, while the price curve comes down for, uh, you know, chemical batteries and things like that. So while you're here, um, give us a bit of a, um, a view about what's happening in America right now, because we hear so much about Trump and his pushback against climate policies and energy policies and um, 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 fuel efficiency mandates for cars, basically sort of pushback on all fronts. Yet things are happening because a lot is happening at state level, isn't it? You, you've got California, which is going charging ahead still under a different term governor, um, you know, so it's pretty much well, Arnold Schwarzenegger was a Republican. The current governor is a Democrat, and they're going forward. Yeah, the um, you know the the good thing about uh, there's good and bad about our our system of government with the uh, uh, three tr branches of government that act independently. Um, it's it, one of them is that institutions uh, carry out the regulations and the laws and the and the and the mandates, 
in a way that's very hard for any single branch of government to just decide to change things and, and, and you know, rip up somebody else's contract. So you know, that can be maddeningly frustrating when you're actually coming into office and trying to, you know, effectuate sweeping change or do something really different. On the other hand, it's a very important protective layer when somebody like President Trump comes in and wants to use a magic wand to just reverse course on a bunch of policies really hard to do because a lot of these are baked into our regulations, baked into our laws. So it's, uh, it's, it's very hard for one, one person, even the president of the United States to effectuate that kind of change. So that's our protection against what's happening here in the, in the U S. Mm. And, and is it right to, to, to say that some things are very ha happening very quickly on, on, on state level? I mean, not just California, I guess you've got Hawaii and you've got some other states as well. Yeah, we've actually, I think we hit a tipping point uh, a number of years ago where um, a lot of the, uh, even though there's still a healthy debate in some strange circles around whether climate change is man-created or, uh, you know, or a natural phenomenon or real or not, uh, the impacts of climate change have forced a lot of policy uh, issues to move forward. And so where it's um, our investment in, in clean energy and renewables really came out of grid reliability, started with grid reliability, and they start with cost. Uh, so we, the, uh, we, we invested in this a lot of, a whole bunch of subsidies and incentive funds to get renewables and electric vehicles out on the market. And once those, once we hit a certain scale with renewable portfolio standards and, and, and tax incentives, once you hit a certain scale, then the, then the renewables became um, a, at a, a, a low cost enough that it, it was a it drove the market right. You didn't need the subsidies anymore because the cost of solar they had already hit the tipping point, and so it, it, it was a kind of an unstoppable force that there would be more and more renewables. Uh, more and more solar anyway. And then, um, uh, you know, wind, I think, is a little bit harder because it's so expensive in terms of the capex. Uh, the energy is, is very cheap, but it's expensive capex. And so that's sensitive to the, you know, some of the tax incentives to get, that, get that, that in the ground. But And electric vehicles became cool. So, you know, thank you to Tesla and BMW and some of the companies that have invested in making electric vehicles cool. Um, there's now customer demand for those things that it's really, really driving, um, driving the market and you don't need the policy mandates. So that's we're, we've really hit a tipping point, uh, I think, in, in the U.S. that uh, is driving the investment in clean energy. That's interesting to hear. So as a, um, you're on the front line of policy, now you're on the front line, of, front line of technology change. Are you confident that we can actually do this transition that we need to do um, um, in, in the time that we've got? Without a doubt. Um, I, well, what do you mean? Do we, can, we, can, we, can we reduce the temperature of the globe 2%? I mean, let's, let's well, narrow that the, question the, down a little. Well, yes. Well, unfortunately, that question gets complicated by all the different feedback loops that we might be already be triggering and things like that. But I guess if, um, if, if the starting question was, can we decarbonize the grid at least and maybe much of transport by, let's say, 2050, which I guess was the original starting point, can we do that? You know, you, you can do anything if you – uh, if you want to do it, if it will, will it happen by 2050 under the course we're uh, with the course we have? I don't think you'll get to a fully de decarbonized grid by uh, electric grid by by 2050. 
um, just because so much of the infrastructure is is based on fossil fuels. I do think you will reduce the most carbon intensive fuels pretty dramatically by 2050. I don't think you're going to see coal plants that are cost effectively operating. I do think that some of the gas will be um, much more um, uh, lower carbon, even gas facilities. And you're going to see um, a lot of self-generation, distributed generation, which in the form of rooftop solar and batteries and integrating the, the, the storage capability of electric vehicle charging. I mean, you're starting to see deployment where, yeah, that's definitely that's definitely possible. Um, so I, I think you are going to see a, a pretty dramatic decarbonization, maybe not 100%, but I think you'll see a dramatic decarbonization by 2050. Well, let's hope so. And uh, in the meantime, um, all eyes on Australia, you say. Um, that's why you're here. Um, the transition's happening pretty quickly here, even though we seem to have all sorts of policy resistance at various levels. But um, um, you're, yeah. you're saying, yeah. You, mean, you, you, you are unique because you're the only market that has a pure real-time market. No capacity, no day ahead. You don't have vertically integrated utilities. And so you, are, you started with a, a, a rule uh, you know, the, the, the energy market rules are designed for competition, whereas almost every other market, California is a great example, we had vertically integrated utilities and the market was designed that way. So changing a market that's going from vertically integrated, not uh, competitive, to a competitive market has, is fraught with danger, uh, where you have a fully functioning real-time market and uh, you know, improving it, adapting it, and, uh, and making it intelligent so that it can... It can um, integrate these renewables cost effectively is going to be really, it's going to be great for your consumers, which is, you know, the bottom line is it's got to be good for, for, for consumers. And I think it, uh, it, it proves it can be, and it's got to be show that you can handle reliability of the grid with these new technologies. So I think Australia is really on the leading edge and everyone in the world is watching what you guys are doing. Well, that's fascinating. And look, we look forward to hearing more about um, your work and seeing some, you know, some demonstrations of um, how it actually operates um, with negative pricing and um, how it sort of fits in with batteries. And um, Susan Kennedy, thanks for joining um, the Energy Insiders podcast. It was fun to be here. Great to talk with you. And I look forward to meeting you in person. And that was Susan Kennedy, the chief executive and founder of AMS. And uh, Pretty fascinating to get an international perspective, not just of what's happening in Australia, but also what's happening in America and the transition that's upon us. And um, um, really great to get her perspective. Look, another thing that we would have seen in the last week was the uh, electricity statement of opportunities um, issued by AEMO. Very interesting document. Um, talking about the risk of outages this um, coming summer, of course, the headlines sort of screamed, you know, 1.3 million homes going to be without power in Victoria. Um, of course, this is a curious document. It sort of describes what happens when AEMO decides to do nothing. But, um, of course, it will do things. It will get emergency reserves and um, it will get demand management. And But I think the point that AEMO was making was that there's going to be these rogue events, these tailpipe events, as they described it, when you get a series of extremely hot days and ageing coal and gas generators and the risk of one or two or even more of them going offline at the same time as they did last year. And what it was pleading for was a bit of action in the um, in the regulatory and rulemaking. You know, please let's have a long term policy for this. Let's have a long term vision. 
provide us with the tools that we need to keep the lights on. And um, I think that was the underlying point of um, David Leach's piece this week, which I um, do urge you to to look at. Some interesting other news um, happening. The South Australian government has leased out its um, diesel generators, the rather controversial addition to the um, by the Labor government after those rolling blackouts in February 2017 when the Pelican Point gas-fired generator didn't fire up. That led to the Tesla big battery, of course, which was a resounding success. Controversy over the diesel generators, which was bought in at great expense and um, and an attempt to get a solar tower of storage plant, which um, didn't quite work out. But the diesel generator is actually going to be leased out to Infogen Energy and Nexif. Now, that's really interesting because they're going to be pairing those diesel generators, which are actually going to convert to gas, with their large wind farms and batteries, which they are building in South Australia. And they say that this will enable them to actually expand the amount of renewables in um, in that state. So just a reminder that the state Liberal government, and I do emphasise Liberal government, has a vision of 100% net renewables or net 100% renewables by 2030. That's more wind and solar than they need that they can then export back to New South Wales and Victoria and presumably other states, backed up by what AEMO has underlined is the future of um, of dispatchable generation, and that could be battery storage, it could be pumped hydro, and probably a reasonable amount of these fast start gas plants, which might be only used two, three, four, five percent of the year, but will fill in those gaps when needed. So that is a fascinating insight and a picture of the future, and uh, one which we will probably see replicated in other states over the coming years. Anyway, um, that's enough for me. Um, Wishing all the best to David. Hope he rejoins us on the podcast next week. Thank you very much to our sponsors, of course, Solaray Energy and also Evergen. Please also look out for a series of podcasts that we will be um, putting on the Driven next week. This came from our electric vehicle transition conference that we held in Sydney this week uh, at the University of Technology. We had a really good turnout. We had some fantastic speakers covering the policy and the politics and the networks and the retailers and the car makers and the charging station manufacturers and other analysts and um pointy heads and it was look it was a great conference and um really discussing at a very early stage the transitions that's before us and i think anyone who is remotely interested in electric vehicles whether you want to buy one yourself or you're thinking how that might fit into the grid of the future i do urge you to go and have a look um at those stories that we will publish and also the podcast that we will put on the website so um, thanks everyone for attending that thank you all for listening and that's goodbye for now Energy Insiders was brought to you by Evergen, providing fully integrated and optimised energy intelligence and storage for residential and commercial sites. With technology developed in Australia with the CSIRO, Evergen customers can maximise the return on their sustainable energy investment. Visit evergen.com.au and take control of your energy bills. Energy Insiders is also sponsored by Solaray Energy, experts in solar PV, storage and monitoring, They're the smart choice for consumers and business. Visit solaray.com.au and secure your energy future today.